Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses What your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen. Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't want to be your merch girl. I want to be your goddamn idol. And I don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I... Happy holidays, prom party. I believe that you're supposed to put the X in Christmas because we're taking the Christ out. So what is this <laughs> war on Christmas holiday stuff? Let's be specific <laughs> with our anti-Christian film propaganda. <laughs> yeah, because if there's one thing that Black Xmas of 2006 was doing, it was intentionally trying to harm lovers of Jesus. Yeah. I guess, wasn't that a controversy? <laughs> It's a controversy every year. Any anytime anything posts like Mary Xmas or whatever, there's at least a hundred people screaming and frothing at the mouth about how it's a war on Christmas. Oh, fun! Despite the fact that <laughs> the real war on Christmas is whenever they put Christmas decorations out around Halloween, because I will throw some throw some hands over that. Yes. <laughs> oh God! Speaking speaking of Christmas, um, because we are now in California. And this is a thing that we have to deal with in December. If you hear weed whackers or leaf blowers, I'm sorry, because they've been going on and off all day and we have limited recording times because I have a new job now. Let's be real. They've been going on and off every day. Yeah. <laughs> there's no prediction of when they're going to show up and suddenly we're like, oh, I guess there's a leaf blower here now. Well, it's it would be really nice if it was like it, some days they're like, OK, cool. We're just going to go up and down the street. For like an hour. And then some days it's like, we're going to go for 10 minutes and then stop for 30 minutes, then come back. And then it goes forever. Yeah. It's just, there's no rules. Almost like this movie. <laughs> so if you were unaware, last year around this time, we were so fortunate to talk with Sophia Tikal and April Wolf, the writers and director of 2019's Black Christmas. Yes. So we, that. we decided to... Uh, make a little bit of a tradition here for the show and every christmas season we're going to talk about one of the black christmases until we run out which means next year we will run out uh probably so, <laughs> yeah i would hope so inevitably there might be a fourth at some point you know that's a very good point um in in horror nothing truly ever stays dead we we know that like, for sure like killers or franchises both okay cool well that'll, that'll be relevant for something i bring up later <laughs> So this week we are talking about Black Christmas 2006, also known as Black Xmas, the first time that Black Christmas from 1974 was remade. So Harmony, what was your exposure to Black Xmas before this week's episode? This was the final of the three Black Christmases that I saw. 
Oh, that's right, because you've seen them all out of order. Yes. I I think I saw 2019 first. I don't remember. I I remember when 2019 came out, we either watched the original leading up to it or after the fact. I think it may have been leading I, up to it. I, part of me thinks that I, we watched it after. I don't remember. Maybe I'll have to consult with our episode from last year when I had a clearer memory of it. <laughs> but this was definitely the last one I saw. Um, I remember it had been floating around video rental stores in my youth, mm-hmm. but I never actually picked it up. So I ended up seeing it as a part of a uh, of a movie night double feature mm-hmm. with 2019. And I mean, it's, <laughs> and I mean, not not to really just spoil my impressions immediately or anything like that. But God, I had a miserable fucking time. Yeah, you were not a fan of this one at all. Really, really, really <laughs> did not like it. Um, especially because I remember that we watched it a part of like an online movie night. It was a double feature with 2019, and people were way more hyped than this one. And BJ was like, "Oh, it's it's a trash mess. It's so beautiful because it's so bad and it's amazing." And I, I was I fucked off. <laughs> like I was there, head in hand having a bad time, <laughs> and I I felt like Kristen Cloak, where she is in this movie, and she's like, you know what, I really can't say much about it, because I just really fucking hate it here. <laughs> and upon re-watching it for the episode, I have now expanded why I don't like it, <laughs> and it's not a controversial thing to say, oh, I don't like 2006's Black Christmas. Right. But when I say that, I don't dislike it for the reasons everyone else dislikes it. And then I think that that's a very good point. And that's why I was very excited to talk about this. Because you are correct. I do quite enjoy this movie. Oh, yeah. You were really excited when we sat down to watch this. Yes. I was very I was very hype about it. And I also do want to clarify that when, you, when I say, oh, I think it's so bad that it's good, there are plenty of people in the world who genuinely do find this to be a good movie. For example, our friends Sam Weinman and Jordan Cruciola of the Austerian podcast genuinely and sincerely think that this is a good movie. We will probably reference them several yes, times. Yes, absolutely. They are kind I, of the the all-knowing fans of this movie. Well, of Ott's horror in general, but right. also I even revisited their episode of Black Christmas with Chelsea Stardust in preparation for this. And Sam and Jordan, I love you very much. I... I'm incapable of understanding anything that you saw in the way of joy with this film. Like, it's beyond me, but we will get there. (laughs) I think that's just really exciting to me. These these are the episodes that we don't get very often where you and I are just on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And I will admit that... I think think I've brought you a little further to my side. This is very true. It's Mm. not quite 10 Things I Hate About You where I'm having like an existential crisis and realizing, oh my God, I don't think I actually like this movie I think that I like. I still like Black Christmas 2006, but the things that you dislike about this movie are a lot more noticeable to me now. And it's one of those things where once somebody said it, now I can't unsee it. Yeah. And uh, that does change how I feel about this movie. And I think that that's very important. Yes. I've deliberately not gone into my thoughts too much because I wanted to, you know, save that as a discussion for the episode rather than just ranting and pacing around the living room. But but the thing that I presented after our completion of our of my second watch of this film definitely... definitely wasn't it wasn't an experience i think for you it definitely (laughs) was eye-opening absolutely so to kick things off if you have not seen black xmas or black christmas 2006 
it is a remake of the original one and follows similar beats. Uh, At least uh, that's what Fandango would lead you to believe, to which they say, An unknown caller first harasses, then murders a group of sorority sisters during a holiday break. That's all they're given. I mean, that makes it sound like the 1974 one. It sure does, but Black Christmas 2006 does a lot of things differently than 74. Most prominently, it's backstory for Billy. Uh, It gets very in-depth. and is Billy has a backstory? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Instead of just being an eyeball man? Yeah, he he has a backstory, and it is a very prominent part of the film. Um, And that's something that I definitely want to dive into uh, as to why I think that that existed in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we'll get there. Before we super dive into anything, this is a reminder that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Every dollar truly does help. If you are not in a position financially to support the podcast at this time, look, we get it. It's the holiday season. It's the end of the year. Shit's expensive. Shit's expensive. Shit's tight. We totally get it. All we ask for is that you give us that five star review on Apple Podcasts. It genuinely does help. And, you know, that. Shout out to all of you who listened to us on Spotify and had us in your Spotify wrapped end of year playlist. That was so sweet. I BJ cried, cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's just it. Just it, y- y'all are great. We mm-hmm. love you so very much. It was very nice. <laughs> all right. So Harmony, take me back to 2006. I really don't want to go back to 2006 because that is sophomore year of high school BJ and sophomore year BJ, both in high school and college, was an absolute mess. But let's let's go for it. Yeah. Uh- Oh, I love the year. I love the stories of sophomore year BJ in college and high school. Yeah, she's a mess. Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) So I looked at like the teen films for this year to try and recontextualize them. Um, And we've covered it a little bit with some previous releases. Like it's a boy girl thing or stick it also came out this year. And there's Mm -hmm. not a ton of trends outside of our teen films getting a little bit older Mm -hmm. and getting more mean spirited. Mm hmm which is a trend that you would see a lot of in the 2000s. Especially once you get into like 2006 to 2010, I would say teen films get really rude. Mm-hmm. So like that's interesting, but that's not really the world we're living in with this film. Mm-hmm. So what I want to bring up is that we are in the heart of the 2000s horror remake. Yeah, yeah, we sure are. Thanks so much, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, so um, <laughs> just between 2005 and 2007 here's a short list and there are more i i, I of some lay of, it on me this of is some of the remakes. we're basically just gonna list off episodes of what's is what's happening <laughs> ones they've either covered or will inevitably so we have the amityville horror the fog house of wax which i actually really like house i of love wax. house of wax i'll reference house of wax later at the end of the episode the hills have eyes when a stranger calls the wicker man the omen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, The Hills Have Eyes 2, Prom Night, and The Hitcher. Hell yeah, The Hitcher. Yes. The Hitcher fucking rules. I need to see the original of that one at some point. Oh my god, that's right, you haven't seen that. Nope, apparently real gay. It's very gay. Yeah, so I haven't seen that, but that's the short list of where we are mm-hmm. and what produces Black Xmas. Mm-hmm. BJ, why are there so many horror remakes? In the 2000s? Yes, obviously... Texas Chainsaw Massacre did very well. That was my second Texas Chainsaw movie I ever saw after a TV edit of the second Texas Chainsaw. 
I had questions. So that's the the major driving factor is the success of the Texas Chainsaw remake proved to Hollywood and all of the studio heads that there was money to be made in remaking horror properties because something that we talk about anytime we have a horror movie on the podcast is that horror is the most prolific and profitable genre in cinema. And it's because you can make these movies for very cheap and people will come out in droves to watch them. Mm-hmm. Horror movies save the theatrical industry. Uh, there was a big thing going on during the pandemic where they were talking about all of the movies. You know, I mean, until like recently, now we have like Dune and like these big blockbusters. But before they were really willing to take those risks, a lot of the movies that were bringing in money in the theaters during the pandemic were horror movies. Mm-hmm. Those were the ones that people were willing to take the risk to go out and see because people love horror movies. So the 2000s was a huge boom of that. This is when nostalgia is having that cycle return where we are looking into older films, we're oh, yeah. remaking them. The late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. like that five-year window oh, is yeah. now 20 years old. Exactly. So that's everything starting to get remade because of that. And there was also something really exciting about going back to the basics um, and giving it a modern touch post 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in a very difficult time period as far as society is concerned this we're we're kind of in like that torture porn boom Uh of films like saw and hostile and this was the alternative to those movies um and even even still they were taking some of those elements and that like everything was really stylized um a lot of the films though that are being remade with the exception of i would argue like like black christmas these are movies that don't have like the legacy fandom the way that, like, Texas Chainsaw did. Texas Chainsaw was going to succeed, honestly, no matter what, because of just name recognition. Black Christmas, I would say, until recently, was still kind of considered an underground horror movie. Like, it's, in my opinion, it's the first slasher movie. But it doesn't have the longevity with non, like, diehard horror fans the way that Texas Chainsaw would, which also means that movies like House of Wax or even the Amityville Horror um the are. many Amityville yeah. horrors. Well, because you can't you can't trademark Amityville because it's a real place. Yes. So there are like so many Amityville movies that are completely unrelated, but they're allowed to use the name. It's a copyright nightmare. Yeah. But they were able to go through their existing IP and remake them for newer audiences because the chances are there weren't people in the mid to late 2000s that were like, you know what movie I love? 1953's House of Wax. You know what that is? A remake of the 1933 film Mystery of the Wax Museum. That's exactly what I need to watch. Like, nobody was saying those things. So being able to put out House of Wax in 2005 was a smart move because it's a property that they have full ownership of. So they, they, they're they not having to hire a lot of like new people to come up with some brand new idea. They have kind of building blocks of what they're already going to be doing. Yeah, there's bones. There's bones there. And now they're able to bring a story to new audiences. Like that is the perfect formula for what movies should be remade in my opinion. And that's why I think there were so many of them. But most prominently... It's because Texas Chainsaw made so much fucking money. Yeah. And everybody wants to follow suit. It's why everything after Get Out was the most socially conscious horror film since Get Out. Mm-hmm. And that's what everyone was chasing for a good three years. And they are still continuing to do so. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be the first. Everybody wants to follow the trends. And whoa, boy, did they. But the first Black Christmas... <laughs> was the most woke slasher. 
It was. And that's what is also really frustrating whenever people talk about Black Christmas 2019 being too woke. And I'm like, did you forget about the abortion subplot in 74? Apparently you did. Really, really timely considering everything that's been going on recently. No shit. God, Black... Not to give it away for next year's episode, but God damn it if Black Christmas 1974 is not a perfect fucking film. It's a perfect film. So I understand why that's kind of a little bit more of an obscure slasher for people. It's a bit older. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get TV airing during Halloween season like most of them do because it's a Christmas movie. Right. And you are not playing Christmas horror films on most channels during Christmas. Right. Until recently when we've gotten things like Shudder. Yes. Yeah. So I get why this was like kind of primed for a remake. But when you bring up 1974, which I'm not going to do very often because the whole issue that everyone has with this film or even 2019 Black Christmas is why would you remake it or it's not as good and I don't care about that argument because it's such a non-issue because they're trying to do completely different things and to compare them against each other is really silly in my opinion yeah because they're they're made for entirely different generations they're made stylistically entirely different the message is entirely different like all of these remakes are similar honestly almost in name only like name and setting only mm-hmm. but they're entirely different movies it's like comparing apples to oranges yeah and I think that when you look at this film versus the original version, obviously, even you just said, like, oh, I consider it the first slasher, even though people will be like, oh, I'm actually psycho. Or They're wrong, but whatever. Whatever. Black Christmas 2006 does not feel like it's trying to be that film. It is, um, it's like a single drop of, of minerals being dissolved into a gallon of water. And being like, well, it's technically like a sodium solvent. I'm like, okay, but it's not. (laughs) This is really like, it's been diluted and now this is more of a like 80s schlock, ultra-violent mess film Mm -hmm. that was inspired by Black Christmas. That's how I read 2006 Black Christmas. Okay. I can completely understand that. I view Black Christmas as sort of the culmination of everything that was going on in the 2000s. It has the cruelty of oh, the era. so mean. Um, especially the girl hate. Um, my God. Um, but at the same time, it also has girls behaving, quote unquote, badly, mm. which I really enjoy. Like they're drinking, they're fighting, they're smoking, they're doing all of the trademark things that we typically in cinema associate with quote unquote bad girls. Mm-hmm. But these are this is a sorority. These, these are, are the girl, popular girls. These are the popular girls. And they're also being kind of bad girls. And I really like they're having sex with each other. They're sleeping with each other's boyfriends. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. And I find that really, really interesting because we are then forced to identify and root for protagonists that in any other movie we would be villainizing them. I suppose I root for them by default. that's fair i don't like any of them and i'm not really invested in any of them surviving if i'm being totally honest with you that's totally cool because there are plenty of people who also watch it that way where they're like oh i just can't wait to watch them all die oh i don't want to watch them die i just don't want to watch the movie (laughs) (laughs) i'm not rooting for billy i don't care if billy wins i just don't like these characters either This isn't like watching Friday the 13th Part 8 where it's like, oh, I can't wait to watch Jason do his thing. No, I don't want to watch any of it. This got go-home heat. Oh, okay. So can you explain to people who are not fans of wrestling what go-home heat is? All right. So um, in professional wrestling with good guys and bad guys, you know, there's the simple idea of a bad guy should make you hate him. 
Sometimes they're really good at it and you respect the craft of being villainous and terrible, so you like them for being terrible. But sometimes someone's really good at their job, but in a really unlikable way, and you don't even want to watch them. You're just like, go home. I'm not paying to see you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch you wrestle. I don't want to watch you talk. I don't want you here. Mm -hmm. That's the heat this movie has with me, where I don't even want to watch any of these characters. See, and I'm still in the firm camp of this is regular heat for me. This is like The Rock being sassy and being mean and talking down to you. And like, I love it. And I love how mean spirited it is. And I want to keep watching. So this is an interesting conversation for us to have because, yeah, we we are definitely not on the same page with this one. So I think we're going to have a lot of that. <laughs> so this is an ensemble piece. So talking about like our go-to girl uh, doesn't really exist. But if there is anyone to talk about, it's Katie Cassidy as, as Kelly, who is our our de facto final girl. Um, first things first, Katie Cassidy deserved better. Um, not necessarily in this movie, but Katie Cassidy was on Gossip Girl. She's a, she's uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, she's in this, uh, she's in Taken, she's in When a Stranger Calls. Like, 2006 horror was kind of owned by Katie Cassidy, and she never gets the credit for it, and mm-hmm. it's very frustrating. And I think the reason she doesn't get the credit is because so many of the movies she's in are movies that people shit on and mm-hmm. don't like, because in their mind, they're all bad remakes. But Katie Cassidy's great in all of them. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, let's talk about Katie Cassidy as Kelly. How do you feel about Kelly? I think she's fine. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have the clearest idea of who any of these characters are. Mm-hmm. I think she happens to be the one who makes it to the end. Um, we were recently rewatching The Warriors, a very masculine movie. like Extremely the, masculine the movie. The opposite of a movie to bring up when discussing this movie, a very feminine film. But one thing that I always love about that film is that, like, you don't know who's going to make it back to Coney Island in that movie. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting about That's what's cool about it. Since you have an ensemble cast, you don't necessarily have someone who's going to be our de facto leader. Since they're all, like, bad girls, you don't Mm -hmm. have the the typical slasher tropes that, you know, were laid out in Scream of who's going to make it to the end, who's going to get plucked off. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I like that in concept. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, I feel like everyone is just kind of like, the. It, it's very realistic in how everyone's picked off, but there's almost no ceremony to any of these kills. Like, so many of them happen so quickly and just out of nowhere. And maybe some people find that exciting, but I just kind of find it like, oh, well, there they go. Okay. Oh, I didn't get to know that character. They're dead now. Oh, there goes that character. And I don't, I have maybe like little bits and pieces of like, oh, Mary Elizabeth Winston is a rich girl who's from the South. That's it. That's her Mm -hmm. character. She sometimes has a southern accent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's fine, but that's not enough for me. Okay. Honestly, I think that Katie Cassidy's character is almost the least interesting of our lineup because she's the least awful. Okay. So, like, like, okay. Even Andrea Martin, who is... Probably my favorite character in this one, but also it's just Andrea Martin. It's because Andrea Martin's the best character in anything she's in. She's lovely. The The irony is that she is actually the one trying to have holiday cheer, and I fucking hate Christmas. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that I like the most in this movie because she's trying to be pleasant, but at the end she's just like, selfish little spoiled bitch. And just like grumbling <laughs> to herself, she's scraping the ice because she doesn't, <laughs> What's uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston doesn't know what an ice scraper is. <laughs> like, that's the little bits and pieces of her that I like, and I was like, okay, cool. So that was always under there. Mm-hmm. You, you're fed up. 
So that's the one character maybe I'll be like, okay, cool, I like this one. But I don't know well, what what's 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 Katie Cassidy's role in this movie other than she's the one who makes it. So the way that I've always viewed her character of Kelly is, you know, she is the one who has the boyfriend who's a townie, and she's the one who's kind of getting fucked over uh, by the boyfriend who's absolutely cheating on her. Um, and by cheating on her, like, it's canonically like, oh, this happened before we started dating. I think Kyle's full of shit. Kyle sucks. Kyle does suck. Kyle sucks and he's real bad. weird and a bit too old. And I'm very glad he dies. He's, he's such a red herring. Kyle exists to be a red herring. Kyle does exist to be a red herring. Not a very good one. No. <laughs> and I hate him. Yeah. Um, the red herring doesn't really <laughs> fucking work when there's flashbacks that say, hey, guess what? We know who the killer is. But I think it's supposed to, like, imply that, like, he grew up. I don't know. It's... We're, we're I'm, getting... I, I'm not going to sit here and analyze the many plot holes of this film. Right. <laughs> there are a lot. We will be here all day. Especially because our main villain is illogical and trying to apply logic to an illogical situation is not going to be a good time. <laughs> right. Um, but for me, Kelly is, she's that girl in the sorority who without her, everything kind of falls apart. That's not to say that like she's the mom of the group because that typically tends to be the characteristics that we assign to that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am that person and I recognize that. Mm-hmm. But she's the one who's constantly trying to get everybody on the same page, like really trying to bring the unity together. A lot of the other girls are super self-centered. And again, like that's who they're supposed to be. So it works for them, especially like Lacey Chabert and Michelle Trachtenberg's character. Like they're such selfish assholes. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's really trying to get them all together. And she's also trying to get them all out alive, which is a de facto leadership role. So she does become our final girl for that reason. And also, you know, she's the blonde one. Yeah. So that makes her different. Well, blondes usually don't make it to the end. Right. So now we're subverting expectations in a slasher, which I can get down with. Fine. But something that uh, I didn't think about until I was listening to you talk just now is you were talking about how a lot of these characters sort of don't mean anything to you and like they're just kind of there. I think one of the reasons for that is that you obviously did not grow up watching a lot of these movies and you don't have as much of a vested interest in this genre. Like you it, you do not come into this movie with a history of knowing all of the other movies that they have been a part of. So it is a lot harder to differentiate because when I watch this movie, I don't think about Kelly. I don't think about Heather or Melissa or Dana or Lauren. I think about Katie Cassidy and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Michelle Trachtenberg and Lacey Chabert and Crystal Lowe. Like, that's who I think of. I don't think of their character names because in my brain, I'm like, no, no, no. I know all these actors and I love these actors for who they are because these are all character actors. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I think some of them fancy themselves like ingenues and leads, they're not. They're, they're character actors. And I know them all. Uh, lies. Mary Elizabeth Winston, she can be a lead. But um, the other ones, they're kind of out of that phase of their careers. And so when I watch this, I have no problem knowing who's who, but it's because I know the actors really, really well. Yes. And I, my counterpoint to that, which is a frustration I have with this film, is there's a lot of aspects that feel like wasted potential, mm-hmm. where you have this cast of many actresses that I really like. And this is what you did with them. Okay. So it, it feels frustrating. Okay. And you are allowed to be frustrated with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want more 
for them and for this movie. <laughs> so storyline-wise, yes, it is somewhat related to Black Christmas in that it's a sorority house. It's right before Christmas break. Somebody's calling and doing weird shit on the phone, and we know that it's Billy. Mm-hmm. A lot of Black Christmas, though, is spent with the backstory of Billy. Like, the girls almost seem very secondary because the the main factor of this movie is Billy, which if there's one thing I am going to be very frustrated about, it is that aspect of this movie mm-hmm. because th- something that's always made Black Christmas so strong to me, like the legacy of Black Christmas, is how aggressively pro-woman these movies are. And Black Xmas to me has always felt like this is Billy's movie and everyone else is kind of there to support that storyline, which I don't super like because I kind of don't give a fuck about Billy's backstory. I don't give a fuck about most men's backstories in movies who are going to be real. Yeah, I didn't really need a backstory for Billy in the original film. And here it's like, okay, cool. Well, we didn't have anything. So that means we can write whatever we want with it. And like, that's good conceptually. I like that. Um, we actually just, well, you rewatched it. I watched it for the first time because it happened to be on Pluto. Um, I watched Leatherface for the first time recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, written by former guest of the show, Mr. Seth Sherwood. Yep. Hi, Seth. Hi, Seth. And what that movie does that I think is interesting and kind of what this movie's trying to do is the idea of like unconditional love and the idea of like a found family. Mm-hmm. Whereas that movie, it's like, okay, cool. Uh, they're, they're the Sawyers, right? Yeah, the Sawyer family. They love each other in the most fucked up way imaginable, but they are there for each other. They are family and they're there through and through. This movie is about a found family where you love each other unconditionally and you have this idea of Billy being like, I'm going to pluck your eyes out because I have a weird thing with eyes because the original movie had an eye and somehow Mm -hmm. See No Evil by WWE Studios from the same year has a more logical eye gouging (laughs) character. Anyway... I feel like Billy murdering these people, but then taking them in is it's like, cool, that's what I saw as a child, and that's how I've adopted it. And y'all are so mean to each other, but you're my family now. Mm -hmm. I may have killed you because I have a problem, and that's how I think I show love, allegedly. Mm -hmm. But I I get kind of what it's supposed to go for there, Mm -hmm. but I also don't care. (laughs) So something that you might find interesting to know is obviously Black Christmas 1974 comes from Bob Clark. Um, who most people know as being the person behind A Christmas Story. Which we're covering on the Patreon this month. Yes, we are. So yes, two of the most like groundbreaking Christmas movies of all time from entirely different genres come from the same person. Um, but Black Christmas 2006 was made by Glenn Morgan, who made his debut feature as the remake of Willard with Crispin Glover. Uh, that's a movie about rats. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Nope. It's weird. It's really wild. Crispin Glover kind of swings for the fences on it, and I kind of love it. Okay. Um, But that movie didn't make any money, and yet they were like, hey, guy who didn't make any money off this movie, we want you to write and direct a remake of Black Christmas. Which, to this day, part of me is like, I think that that's really cool that they were like, hey, we saw potential here. This didn't really work out. Let's give this to you. But then also I'm like, men can fail their way upward constantly, and that's annoying. Mm-hmm. That's not his fault. Right. That's the system. That's the system's fault. Regardless, um, he was a huge fan of the original film. And even Crystal Lowe, who she's the one who's drunk and throwing up the entire movie, Mm -hmm. 
Um, she has noted publicly many times that he really respected the original and really, really loves it and wanted to make something kind of entirely different as to not like step on the toes of the original, which mm-hmm. I do like. So like that's the big motivating factor behind like what he's he's doing here and why it's so different. Mm-hmm. So in making this new script, he had intended to rework elements from the original that were ambiguous or implied. Um, and he even got input from Bob Clark. Bob Clark co-produced this movie. A lot of people don't know that. They're always like, this is such an affront to the original. Motherfucker, the original director is involved in the creation of this. Like, mm-hmm. he knows it. Um, so he worked with Bob Clark, and they came up with this extensive subplot for Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also includes Billy's sister, Agnes, um, who we will absolutely get to. Um, what a twist. Yeah. Agnes is here. What a twist. <laughs> so one of the big things that they had to change was the, the original Black Christmas, one of the big aha moments is that the calls are coming from inside the house, mm-hmm. which then again, we get in like When a Stranger Calls, which is a movie that's also remade around the same time. It's the same year. It's the same year. So you can't do that. Like that can't happen. So the the addition of Agnes was to, that's the, the true twist is like, it's not Billy, it's Agnes. And that kind of takes away the the calls for coming from inside the house, like rehash. It, it turns it into something different. Mm-hmm. Ultimately though, that decision came from the executives at Dimension Films. Oh, the Weinsteins? Correct. Oh, yeah. Didn't they have their hands all up in this movie and did a lot of awful things? Like, yes. Like, make a completely unrelated trailer? Yes. The Weinsteins' hands are all over this and not in a good way. Um, Glenn Morgan has talked all... Is there ever a time where their you know, hands that's are a on great... something in a good the way? The second I said it, I was like, oh, God, I really set myself up on that one. But You set him up, I'll knock him down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Morgan even talked about, he's like, this is a $10 million remake. What, there should be no producer involvement at all. Like, this movie costs nothing to make. Just let me do my thing. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do that. Um so that's, you know, very annoying in in my opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they got everyone together. They they shot the movie, but yeah, the the Weinsteins are all up in it. They changed the ending, they changed the tone. Um they just uh, God, I hate the Weinsteins. Like they they just they suck so uh-huh. bad. <laughs> yeah. Professionally and personally. Yeah, for real though. Um, and there, there are alternate cuts of Black Christmas. There are ones with different endings that are available. Um, oh I, yeah. The, um, the first time I ever saw this movie was the UK cut of this submit film, which is also mm-hmm. like, like 82 minutes or something. It's like ludicrously short. Mm-hmm. And that was the first version, which is allegedly the superior version. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> that was the good version. And I couldn't tell you really what the difference was on a, on a deep level. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> It was neither better nor worse either time watching it for me. <laughs> so before we go into the points that I know for sure you you don't like this oh, movie. Oh, that, that I'm chomping at the bit to go into? Yes, because I can, I can see you across oh, the room. I'm just twiddling my thumbs right now, just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, this is a movie that I I just think is so funny because there's so many moments in it. The One of the big ones is the reveal of I'm Claire's sister, mm-hmm. where it is like the most dramatic reveal. And you you think you're going to have a cameo performance or it's going to be some like big name person or someone from the original film. And then it's just 
Val Luton from Final Destination. Surprise. Um, <laughs> She's there in a, a perfectly fine coat that is apparently a great coat. She's wearing and that. And a lot of makeup for a snowstorm. She's wearing that great coat that looks so much like the Gabriel outfit from Malignant. Yeah. So, like, Malignant's definitely borrowing from there. There's also a couple moments in here that I noticed upon this last rewatch that have been repurposed into yellow jackets, mm-hmm. which I was sitting there like, oh, they're just, they know how to get me. Mm-hmm. They know. Um, so I find this movie really, really entertaining. I find this to be very fun and very silly. There's a, such a level of camp to everything that I, I quite like. And you are also somebody who likes camp, but this doesn't work for you. Oh, there's different brands of camp? Yeah, so dive into this. Why does this version of camp not work for you? See, I've been trying to figure that out for a long time because there's a certain level of camp that is amongst your absolute favorites that doesn't work for me that is... Is this similar to, like, Hallmark exploitation films? Does this, Is this a similar brand of camp that also doesn't work for me? Because you love both of those. And yeah. I truly don't have an answer for, like, why this brand just, I, it, it does nothing for Honestly, me. Honestly, okay. I think you might be onto something here because Black Christmas 2006 does kind of have a similar energy in my brain to the mindless fun that I get from, like, Lifetime rom-coms. Mm-hmm. And because the thing is, like, there are some Lifetime movies that you do like, but, like, the, the, the brand of rom-com or especially, like, holiday rom-coms, you do not get into. Oh, I hate holiday rom-coms. And I think that, I think this is, like, the the Halloween version of, of those stories. Of a holiday stories. rom-com? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, I think it's, this is the Halloween slasher version of a holiday rom-com in my brain. Yeah, I... I don't care how many of my friends keep telling me to watch the third princess switch. I'm not gonna. That's fine. I already did. And I did it while you were at work because I knew you didn't want to yeah, see exactly. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just, I, I hate Christmas. I hate holiday rom-coms. Maybe that's like the, this is the, that of that. But my aversion to either like the holiday rom-com or, or this kind of over the top camp is not exclusive to this decade. Um, there's a lot of, you know, much beloved 80 slashers, which is like a contemporary to this that I do not care for. Uh, like people who would go, man, but like the original prom night or terror train, aren't those fun? I go, no, I do not think those are fun either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is definitely a particular brand that just does not work for you specifically. Maybe it's just because it's too mean to be fun, but even that doesn't seem quite correct. Like I can't figure out exactly what the taste about my palate is. Maybe it's like cilantro. Okay. Like some people have the gene where it tastes like soap and for you, this is soap. Yeah. Okay. This is just soap and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's in my DNA. Okay. And and that's the thing is I think that that's a very important thing for people to understand because I could sit here and try to to list all the different reasons why I find this movie to be entertaining and why I love it. That's not going to relate to you. Nope. There are just some movies that are not meant for some people. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and say, like, if you like this movie, you're a fucking moron, like a terrible Twitter film bro. Exactly. Like, I'm just sitting here going, no, but soap. Okay, yes, no, but soap. And I think that's a really, really important discussion to have. Um, Before we get into like that aspect, because I I really want to come back to that. I think that's really interesting. I do want to talk about the thing that I know you genuinely, wholeheartedly do not like. And it is the thing that you told me about that made me go, oh, oh, okay. Yep, I'm on board. Now I can't unsee this. Let's talk about Agnes. So... The way I presented this to you, which you you never really clicked before, never really understood it, and I saw you go, oh my god, it makes so much more sense why you hate this movie now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because like, I, I couldn't contextualize exactly what I was feeling, but the way I came at was like, Hey, you know how you see those trends go around on social media where it'll be like, what's homophobic or what's transphobic, but isn't, but feels like it is Mm -hmm. black Christmas, 2006 feels transphobic, but it isn't. Yes. It's playing all of these correct rules to just avoid it, but it sure feels fucking transphobic because for whatever reason, the Weinsteins thought it was a good idea to cast like. Like the like the DP or something, just because he's a silly looking guy. Yeah. As Agnes. Yeah. So now you have this guy playing a female character, and he looks older than Billy, which is weird. Which I think the reason they did that, and this is just the quote unquote justification. Like I'm not actually saying this is the justification. I just know how these fools' brains work. Mm. Agnes is an inbred. Yeah. Like she was. Billy is her brother and her father. My daddy. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so that's why she. I think like, it makes sense that she looks older because like, she's gonna look weird. I get that's why they decided to do that for whatever fucking reason. But in doing that, now you have changed the entire text of the entire movie. The whole. This isn't like oh hey, there's a few subtle changes. This isn't like um like soap dish mm-hmm. or something where it's like oh that's thrown at the end, but it's not really necessary. It's just kind of there. No, the entire subtext of this movie fucking changes mm-hmm. because now there is a gender read to this that says, hey, you know what we think? We think that some like a man who's a woman is an inbred abomination. Mm-hmm. We think you're a fucking disgusting monster who eats eyeballs. Mm-hmm. But we're not saying it to be transphobic, but we really want to, but we don't. So on like the good end of things, either it's absent-minded and it's bad optics, or or at worst, it's just straight up transphobia. Right. And this is 2006. It's a mean-spirited time. I fucking get it. You can yeah. go ahead and make excuses being like, but it's not a trans read. And I was like, it doesn't matter. The impact is going to be there regardless. Mm-hmm. Don't piss on my foot and tell me it's raining. Yeah. Don't insult my intelligence and say, it's fine because this is canonically a cis character. And I'm like, this might not be a cis character now. This yeah. could be a insidious chapter two situation. This could be a sleepaway camp type situation. There's a lot of open-ended questions that you tried to close making this movie from the original Mm -hmm. that are now very messy Mm -hmm. and have made things worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, once you pointed that out because I was like, well, you know, they're not supposed to be a trans character. This is obviously not a trans read. This is supposed to be, you know, somebody who is an inbred, but then you even pointed out, they're like, yes, but this looks like, what some people look like when they transition later in life when all of their masculine features have already kind of taken hold. Mm. So what does that say for those people? And it's like, oh, yep, you're right. You're 1,000% right. And like once you mention that, like then that's all that I could see. Because then you're also looking at Agnes, who is a cis male actor, now trying to embody femininity and act it out. And that is what so many turfs and transphobes like to pretend that trans women are. Mm-hmm. And I, like the moment you said it, I was like, this all tracks and makes complete sense. And that is a read that I cannot apologize for, that I cannot make a, de- a defense for, because that it, it just is what it is. Well, that, and I don't want to sit here and be like, hey, you should sit in your discomfort and really think about what you've done. Go to the corner. Right, Put your nose in the corner. That's just not who you are. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and like try to punish anyone or be mean towards anybody about enjoying this film because of this. Because it's not for me. I accept that. But the fact of the matter is, like, I did Googling. I looked it up. No one's having this discussion about this movie pretty much, period. Yeah. This is just something that no one has approached or even addressed and even considered. 
which means that it is an absent-minded, very big thing that I can't not see mm-hmm. that no one else is paying attention to. And it, it brings up a really interesting point because a lot of the people who do defend and love this movie tend to be the queer community. Oh, well, of course. Queer people will adopt any kind of terrible film because like, you're in my family now because we understand what it's like to be rejected. I get that. Mm-hmm. This is a movie about found family. I get that. You could even make an argument that because this movie has an extremely queer read to it now, maybe Billy was born in a way that, you know, his wife just didn't like it, but that's the way he was just born that way. And in this mm-hmm. case, it's represented via horrible yellow skin, like he's from Sin City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You could say, well, maybe Billy's queer. And mm-hmm. Billy has this unconditional love for his kid the way that his parent didn't with towards their potentially queer red character child. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of things that change in this fucking movie now. So I get that there's an appeal to it. And like, oh, the gore's fun, or the lighting's really fun, and that's not enough for me to sit through a movie. Especially when there's these glaring issues that didn't ruin the movie for it, but it definitely, like, pooped on my doorstep after I got home from work, and I just want to go to bed. (laughs) Like, this is not a long movie. No. It's like 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't slow down. It's pretty breakneck speed through the whole time. But I just want it to be over, and I get home, and I pull up to my driveway, and go to my front door, and I go to put keys in, and there's poop in a bag on fire on my fucking porch. And that flaming poop is flaming Agnes. I, I just really genuinely... You okay? <laughs> there's poop again! <laughs> See, that's why I'm crying, because I'm thinking about that. Ah, okay. <clears throat> that is also what I was thinking about when I was making that metaphor. <laughs> okay, good. No, so I do think that it's really interesting, though, that you're right. And I also did the same Googling and the same research. And there really is not a lot of dialogue specifically about the transphobia read that you can make with Agnes and how it does change Billy's story. And I think that that is really a good representation of the queer community as a whole's issue with intersectionality and seeing trans issues because I think it's really easy for people who are cisgender like no matter how good we are as allies there's always more that we can be doing and like this was a moment where I obviously was like yeah you know there's kind of a trans read that you can make blah 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 but when you really like itemized it out for me and brought it to me from a perspective that I cannot have No matter how much I love you and no matter how much secondhand transphobia I endure as being your wife, I will never be able to see the world the way that you do because I am cisgender. And once you brought that up to me, it was just like, oh, oh, God, yeah, this is like, it's indefensible is what it is. And it does then kind of taint a lot of the movie beforehand because I will admit, do I still love this movie? No. Do I still like this movie? Yeah. I like this movie. I used to love this movie, but now it's gotten kicked back a little bit because that ending is a little bit of a problem for me. But then at the same time, I also like don't want to punish the movie for this because it's not the creative's fault. This is the Weinstein's fault. Yeah. So this is just another another little uh, iron on the fire as to why the Weinsteins can fuck off into the sun. His grubby, dirty hands. God. Ugh. So I, I don't know how much I want to go into like this as a topic as a whole, but... This is kind of an issue that I have in general in in the horror community and why I don't like in I don't like spend saying like oh I'm I work in the horror community. I end up here a lot. I do a lot of work in the horror community specifically with trans stuff, but I'm fucking tired 
mm-hmm. because this is always cis people going like, hey, um, we need a trans person to tell us if we're allowed to like sleepaway camp. Do you want to talk about sleepaway camp for the 40th time? Like, I really don't. Right. I don't want to talk about Dress to Kill anymore. I don't want to talk about Silence of the Lambs anymore. Like, it's this complete absent-mindedness of cis people that I just, I, I just, I'm so exhausted and I don't want to do it anymore because queer people are the main fans of this. I've been seeing a lot of people now that we're in December going like, when are we going to get a, a nice Blu-ray version of Black Christmas 2006? Because the colors are going to look so great in high def. And Here's the thing, though. They will look really great in high def. I'm this sure movie is so beautiful. The colors it's look so great. bright. <laughs> it's one of the only things I will praise about this movie is that the lighting is great. The lighting in this is impeccable. <laughs> it, it looks like Christmas, which if you like that, I don't. <laughs> that works for you. Again, soap. But that's that's the wholly the issue is that it's all of these queer people, most of which are cis, not even realizing that this is a problem. And I think part of why they don't realize that it's a problem, and this kind of goes to myself, is we all know the story behind Buzz's girlfriend in Home Alone, mm-hmm. where John Hughes or Christopher Columbus, I don't remember who made the decision, was like, it's too mean for us to put a picture of like a, a girl in this frame for Kevin to go, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. So it is a boy in a wig and like making a silly face. And because they were like, you know what? That's the more appropriate thing. And for many years in my brain, I was like, that was very thoughtful of them. But now like the the, the older I get, the more that I have the language to contextualize what's happening. I'm like, that's also transphobic though. Like, because now you're saying it's okay to make fun of somebody if they look like a trans woman. And it's like, that's also shitty. Like all of it's shitty. <laughs> like this is the same year that The Hills Have Eyes came out. Mm-hmm. And you have whichever mutant radiation inbred hillbilly person that exists in that movie that looks like Sloth from the Goonies. Yes. And you can say, that's in bad taste, because we're making fun of Sloth from the Goonies. Right. But what about the original one where it's like, hey, guess what? Michael Berryman, you look like an inbred hillbilly monster with no prosthetics. Right. That's just your face. Yes. You could have easily just taken it, 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 just a per like, it's, it's, it's probably like a cost-cutting thing and because the Weinsteins probably thought it was funny or something. But you could have easily taken any person and put prosthetics on them to make them look like whatever you wanted Agnes to look like. And it would have solved the whole problem. Yeah. But instead, they cast a cis man to play this inbred woman role. And now all of the story behind it and all of the the representation issues behind it get really muddy and really messy. It only gets muddy if you think about it and no one does. Yeah. And that's the thing. No one does because this is a movie that I love because I can kind of shut my brain off when I watch it. But Hannibal Lecter says that Bill isn't trans. That means it's okay. (laughs) Don't get me on that. It's like that. It's like this character isn't trans, but it is... It's it's still mm, it's real close. Mm-hmm. Like you are tiptoeing around a line. You're 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 going like I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you as you dangle a finger in front of my face. So, a question that I have for you though is, how does Agnes have more of like a like a transphobic read than say like a body swap movie like Freaky, in your opinion? Because that's something that we have come under fire for before, because people don't like to listen to the full reason. And they're like, well, Freaky's transphobic because of this. And you're like, it's not though. So what makes this different for people who may not understand why this is more unacceptable than like a body swap movie? Well, for one thing, Freaky is a very, very 
pro queer film. That helps. But if you want, but if you want to pick worse examples, something like maybe the hot chick, which I do defend for the most part, where Rob Schneider is not playing female, he's playing gay. Right. That's his version of feminine. Agnes is very similar in that this guy's portrayal of feminine is just like lispy and gay. Mm-hmm. Okay. A big difference that I think you have is that canonically you can look at something like the hot chick and say, cool, we're fucking with gender. But you know that this is not a woman. You know that this is not a man. The text says so. Versus something like Black Christmas 2006, where it's like insulting your intelligence. Okay. Okay. Where it's like, no, anybody watching this knows that that is not a female actress. Mm -hmm. That is just some guy. Mm -hmm. And it is just some guy. <laughs> and the way it's being presented, you could, you honestly, I, I could even play devil's advocate against myself and being like, you're assigning the gender of this person and that they don't pass or something like that. But that's not the issue here. Mm -hmm. That because that passability was never the fucking point. The point was to make them look gross right. and make them not look like a woman. So in their mind, the idea of somebody that's like an inbred gross person is essentially a non-passing trans woman. Yeah. And that's, also that's like the equivalency we're making. Yeah. And like passing politics are also bullshit. And like they that's are. an entire other conversation. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're playing in straight world right now, regardless yes. of everyone saying that this is like gay camp masterpieces. We're in straight world with this movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, I agree. So, so stuff like pass and drag and all of these things, these are non-issues mm -hmm. in terms of like the actual text. So something that I wanted to go back to was the the cilantro soap gene. Oh, soap. <laughs> oh, soap. Um, and I... I just want that to be the principle now as we refer to it as soap. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, I, I kind of am very much on board with this. Um, so something that I admire you for is that this is a movie that doesn't work for you. Do you no think? No kidding. <laughs> Was I subtle? <laughs> Do you think less of people who like this movie? No, I don't understand them, but I don't think less of them. Okay, beautiful. I, I listened to Sam and Jordan talk for over an hour about how much they love this movie, and it was so much energy and joy and excitement. And I'm glad you're happy. <laughs> I just would rather not be involved in this conversation. <laughs> so I think what's really important about that is that you are giving off an energy that so many people I feel like are really incapable of doing. And that because the things that we love, movies especially, are so intrinsically tied to our being and who we are. Like there are so many people who their entire identity is wrapped around the things that they love. Oh, like sports fans? Yes, yeah. that's a great example. Sports fans are a perfect example. Mm -hmm. And I live and breathe Steelers or whatever. Right. I bleed brown and orange. <laughs> Shout out to the Cleveland Browns, the best sports team ever. Not because I actually like watching them play. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, like so, so many of the things that we love become part of our identity. Like I fully understand that I have a quote unquote brand because anytime there is news with Grease 2 or Josie and the Pussycats, I get tagged in it a hundred times. Uh -huh. And I'm cool with that. I like that that's what people know me for. I think that that's really cool. Uh -huh. um, so I think what ends up happening is that if somebody doesn't like something that you really like, that you hold really sacred, it almost feels like you are being personally attacked. Uh -huh. So people get really, really defensive, and they also get really territorial 
about mm-hmm. this sort of thing where it becomes oh, yeah. it, it becomes camps of you're either with us or you're against us. You either like Black Christmas or you're wrong. You either love Black Christmas or you're homophobic. Like these are like these weird lines that get drawn in the sand for movies like this. But you and I are sitting here happily married, I like to think. Yeah. <laughs> we had sex last night. It was pretty fucking rad. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. Um, we, we have a good time. We like to have fun here. <laughs> But we have completely, you know, opposite opinions of this movie. Amongst other things. Amongst other things. You and I like very different brands of camp. Yes. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with you for not liking this movie. And I'm also not going to sit here and try to convince you to like it. Because, again, soap. I can't change what's in your DNA. Like, I can't do it. It's not going to happen. I was born this way, BJ. (laughs) You were born with an affinity for hating Black Christmas 2006. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But, I I mean, it's also not a controversial thing to say, like, that this is, that you don't like this movie. That that, right. that is very, very popular to say. Right. I think this has like a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, a lot of people hate this, like like violently hate this movie. Well, it's fine. A lot of people violently hate 2019, and I will defend that one to the death. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. But I'm also not going to sit here and say like, cancel Black Christmas 2006, or you're exactly. transphobic for liking Black Christmas, because it's, it's not trans, it's just messy. Right. And... Why would the fuck does it matter if you cancel a movie from 2006? It's from 2006. Were you there? <laughs> Do you know what it's like? This is not uncommon. This is fucking everything during that era. <laughs> yeah, that's the, like something that I, I love so very, very much is watching Gen Z discover movies from the 2000s and oh, yeah. like melting down when they realize how offensive they are. And we're like, this is how people talked back then. Like, that's what we were on the receiving end of. Every day of our lives. Yeah. Um, something that we did over the course of the pandemic, because I was going to write an article about it and just never got around to it. Maybe I'll finish it one day. Was uh, we rewatched The Surreal Life. Yes, we did. Which the last season, which is the one I specifically wanted to watch, was from 2006. How What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of this barely a show show that has like eight episodes and like almost no content in them is, man... Let's throw Alexis Arquette into uncomfortable situations and get footage out of it. Let's Mm -hmm. put her in a bar in like a neighborhood and just watch her like people be transphobic towards her. Mm -hmm. Let's shock the other castmates by just introducing her on a whim. Mm -hmm. Let's put her in front of a crowd of people while she does a a talk show with with Pepe the King Prawn and watch them be uncomfortable, even though she's actually funnier than everyone else that's doing this show. Mm -hmm. Let's exploit trans people or at least public perception of trans people like in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what the era we're in. Because we're in 2006. Yep. And I think, I th- I'm very glad that you felt comfortable enough to share this perspective with me. Um, I well, mean, we have a really open dialogue like this. We do. You I, would have. I did most of my ranting after we watched it while shaving my legs in the shower for way too long. Going like, just having invisible conversations <laughs> just with Yosemite myself. Samming. I was arguing with this movie about itself. <laughs> In the shower. I had to just get that out of my system. (laughs) So something, though, that I I really did want to bring to this is because I was like, this is going to be a conversation that's going to get complicated, that's going to be kind of all over the place. Um, As we we said at the top of the show, there are people who love this movie, like Mm -hmm. genuinely love this movie. And I think there is as much value of hearing somebody talk about why they love something as there is people talking about why they don't like something. Mm -hmm. So 
I did reserve a little bit of time for the podcast where our friend Sam Weinman of the Austerian podcast is going to give us the five reasons why he loves Black Christmas so much. So that way, anybody listening to this, you're kind of getting a well-rounded approach. You're getting Harmony, who's on one end of the spectrum, me, who follows somewhere at like the three-quarter mark, and then Sam, who is in full tilt, loves this movie category. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you the floor. Take it away, Sam. Hey, friends. This is Sam Weinman. I'm one half of Osterion, but uh, one whole giant fan of you two. And these are the top five reasons that Black Christmas 2006 is actually good. I think that Black Christmas is really misunderstood. And just as a starting point, I want you to know I love the 1974 version. It's actually my favorite movie of all time, like hands down, doesn't matter what category. And I'm somebody who loves Christmas and I love horror. So you throw the two in there and it's if that's my jam. And Black Christmas 2006 was something I warmed up to over the years. I think that Black Christmas is misunderstood, so hopefully these bullet points will help give you a lens in which to see the film through that will allow you to enjoy it further. So number one, Black Christmas is a drag show. So I know this film is like very heterosexual, but also it's totally not. Like I view this through a queer lens. It's like if if somebody was doing a drag interpretation of Black Christmas 1974. Like taking that eyeball scare and being like, you know what? It's actually a screensaver now. And taking the decor and making it like Christmas to the max, like making that hallway of the hospital like completely unusable because like if you put your hands down on the railing, you're gonna break that glass and put it in your hand, electrocute yourself in a hospital. The flashbacks have flashbacks. This movie is completely tonally uneven, but it's also in on the joke. It's there to have a good time. It's there to be extra. Black Christmas is here to put on a show. This brings me to number two. It begs you to participate. The number of times that they say, you're my family now, I think it's like 13. I mean, we count and get a different number every year. But like, first of all, the the theme of chosen family, very queer. But just in general, it's like, if you're not with a bunch of friends shouting, you're my family now, every time it happens, like, what are you even doing when you're watching Black Christmas? Also, great opportunity during the 911 call. Katie Cassidy's character's response is like, yes, yes, I know her. So just shout, but ma'am, did you know the victim? Before that happens. And I promise you, it will transform your experience watching this movie. There's a not cameo with Kristen Cloak. Like, basically, the camera pushes in, revealing, like, Lee, the sister. And it's as if it's going to be, like, Margot Kidder. And you're looking closely, and you're like, oh, it's not. This is just somebody I've never seen before. And maybe it was written that way, and then they were just like, well, now we're committed. But they did it anyways, because, this goes back to number one, this is a drag show. It's like, it is fully committing to its choices. Number three, speaking of cast, this is the ultimate odds cast. We have, as I mentioned, Kitty Cassidy, but we also have Andrea Martin, who played Phil in the original, go to bed, Barb, you're drunk, Phil, serving it in this. As the house mom, we also have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Lacey Chabert, Michelle Trachtenberg. Like, this is an all-star odds cast. There are multiple people from Final Destination 3, an incredible, incredible casting director behind this, whoever it is, because these decisions were the right choices. Number four, Black Christmas got a raw deal. It was 
intentionally advertised wrong. The producers were unhappy with what was made, and so they reshot a bunch of material, put it in the trailers, and honestly, the trailers are really cool. It's selling a movie that doesn't exist. There's a bunch of kills that didn't happen. There are there's even like characters that don't exist in the movie. They're all played by the same actress who dies multiple deaths in the trailer, but it's a very misleading trailer. If you want to see that trailer, go see the Silent Night movie from the aughts because that pretty much stole all the kills and then put it into a movie with uh, Jamie King. But back to Black Christmas. The movie you get is not the movie that was advertised. So uh, the director's biggest complaint about it was that people who would have been a fan of, of what was made never got the opportunity to find out. So they didn't show up. And the people that showed up showed up expecting something that they didn't get. So they left disappointed. The word of mouth on this film was terrible. The critical response, garbage. This movie had no fighting chance. And stack that up in an aughts era where we have remake burnout already. Like this, there's just no way to enjoy Black Christmas. And I think it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, at least at the time. But it is ripe for reclaiming. So that leads me to number five, which is the UK cut. Like number five is actually like that this movie burns fast and bright, which I love. I love a horror movie with a fast runtime and I love a horror movie that takes big swings. But specifically, I love the UK cut of this film because it has a completely different ending. The kills are gorier. Like if you thought there were a bunch of eyeballs in the first one, like just wait till you watch the UK cut. Also, most like variant cuts tend to be longer and have something you missed. This cut has something you missed, but somehow it's like three minutes shorter than the US Blu-ray. I don't know how that's possible, but it is. And at 84 minutes, the UK cut is actually the superior cut of Black Christmas. So if you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend the Black Christmas UK cut because I think it highlights all the things that I love about this bombastic, extra, gaudy, colorful, uh, Michelle Trachtenberg vehicle. <laughs> I love this movie because it knows that you can't take it seriously. It's in on the joke. It's there to be really an aughts era exploitation film. I think it's the closest thing to an exploitation film that we got in that decade. If you have the opportunity to just kind of throw on those rainbow glasses and watch this again, I think you may find that there's something here to love. Because I certainly love it. And either way, both of you, Merry Christmas. And in the words of Michelle Trachtenberg in the TV spot that never existed in the movie, Merry Christmas, motherfuckers. We like to give you some positivity during the Christmas season, don't we? <laughs> exactly. There's enough negativity in the Christmas season. You don't need it just from us, do you? So I feel like this is um, a ridiculous even ask, but it's the format of the show. Mm. Black Christmas 2006 is asking you to mm. the prom, Harmony. Mm. Is it a yes, a no, or mm. a maybe? And what are you writing on the Christmas cookies made out of your mom's back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on, on a technical level. This is a significantly better made film than It's a Boy-Girl Thing. Yes. In terms of aging, it has aged better than 16 Candles. Yes. It doesn't have James Corden like The Prom. Yes. I hate it more than any movie we've ever covered <laughs> on the show. 
and would never want to watch it ever again. It's fine. I won't make you watch it ever again. I'll watch it on my own. That's fine. And there's things in this movie that I like in concept. I will take the cilantro out of the meal. It'll be fine. Thank you. But like, I love a movie that uses its gimmick. Any like a, like a movie like Stitches, it's a killer clown. We're gonna use all sorts of clown gimmicks. Beautiful, love it. Terrifier doesn't fucking do that. Mm-hmm. This movie, we're a Christmas movie. We're gonna have so much Christmas stuff. We're and there's stab a ton of Christmas through gimmick. the face with like an ornament that would have shattered immediately. But fine, let's not get too much into the fucking suspension of disbelief with this movie. It uses its gimmick. Yes, it does very well. I might add. It. I. I. I wish it used its gimmick better in a better movie. <laughs> I just wish everything about this movie was better because even the things that I like, like the cast, just do not meet the expectations I want. I'm just frustrated and disappointed. <laughs> it's like opening a present for Christmas and getting socks. Hey, you like getting socks for Christmas though. Yeah, but not when you're like seven. Okay, good point. My grandparents were like, let's get you nice button ups that you can't wear because you're fat. <laughs> Your neck's too thick, but we're going to try and button it up anyway. <laughs> oh, look at you, you little butterball. This is that movie. It's being reminded of all the things I don't like about Christmas, and I can't even play with it or have fun. <laughs> it's like when I got my wisdom teeth taken out two days before Christmas. My mother then drives me across the street going, oh, it's like when you get your tonsils removed. Would you like some ice cream? Let's go to Steak and Shake. So then I sip my shake through a straw, immediately burst all the stitches in my mouth, can't feel that my face is still numb and drool bloody milkshake all over myself. <laughs> then, and then I couldn't eat Christmas dinner because I couldn't <laughs> chew properly. That's what this movie feels like. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Enjoy your Christmas break. Well, we want to thank everyone for listening to us talk about Black Christmas 2006. Again, if you like the show, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Give us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. It genuinely, sincerely does help us. You we can... also love to read the reviews. They're very nice. <laughs> They're so kind. <laughs> <laughs> you can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. If you would like to see me avoid all holiday cheer, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Veloci underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use the song title for our theme song. Y'all are amazing. You ended up on both of our Spotify end of year lists. Extensively. Extensively. You're in my top five because I listen to Crying is Cool a lot. (laughs) Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out this week? So... I, uh, if you remember correctly from way early in the episode, before I got as heated as I did. Before you became full of beans. So so many beans. I mentioned 2005's House of Wax. Yes, yes you did. Do you remember the, uh, the song that plays during the credits during House of Wax? Uh, Helena by My Chemical Romance? Yes, yes it is. What <laughs> great credit music. That, that is the line that I'm drawing between where we are right now, and our indie shout-out band of Save Face with their album Another Kill for the Highlight Reel. Ooh, I like that name. Oh, God. I've played you them a bit in the car. I think so. And they are extremely uh, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge era My Chemical Romance. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You have played me them, and that is the best way to describe them. Immensely theatrical. I believe that they refer to themselves as Gay Slipknot. Because <laughs> Which of, is so good. Because they wear the jumpsuits. So, uh, yeah, no, they're fantastic. A lot of, like, theatrical mid-2000s emo inspiration. 
Big fan of the title track in particular. That hook in the chorus. Oh, it's so fucking juicy. Yeah, so that whole album, if it had came out sooner, probably would be my most listened to album of the year. Mm-hmm. Or at least top two. Uh, Ska Dream by Jeff Rosenstock still might be beating it. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you all again for listening. We will see you next time. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Merry Christmas, bitches. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.